Welcome back to the Shea Station podcast. I don't think I can call it the newest Mets podcast anymore. It's just the John Boy Media podcast because John Boy Media already has a new podcast with David Cohn, which is pretty exciting. So we're, we're no longer the new hot stuff. But as always, it's uh, it's your guy, Jolly Olive Jack, and I'm joined by some guy, Gerald Blevins. Uh, you know, he did some things in his career for a few years and whatnot. I'm no... I'm no David Cohn, but we are still the hotness. I'll tell you that. Exactly. Like, we still got the former player. We still got some style. We don't need the new hotness. It would just be the hotness. Jerry is rocking his Bengals hat, and for good reason. Decisive victory over the Ravens looking real good. You know, looking good. Joe Burrow is the real deal. I was nervous about, you know, his complete knee reconstruction issues, but he came out looking great. Lamar Chase, or Jamar Chase, looked like he was – struggling in in the preseason with all their games and complaining that the ball doesn't have the stripes oh, yeah, that I college that. ball does <laughs> and then we were, I was like oh no we wasted a pick we needed <laughs> we could have you know got uh, offensive lineman uh no nah, he's a real deal 200 yards last last game or yesterday that's so good. bananas so yeah so we're we're talking football because uh in the baseball <laughs> world it's just woohoo the Braves are in the World Series they won the pennant without Acuna, without Soroka. And I was talking to good old Jakey Burns today, right before we uh, I set up the studio for like an hour because everything was broken. Um, and the, basically what I said to Jake that he should, he told me I should say on here is that if we do get the worst case scenario and the Braves win the World Series, I think that it'll be a catalyst for the Mets to go into go mode, to understand that this is now, in the last three years, two of your division rivals winning the World Series you know, you have to join the club. It's time to go. It's time to spend big and make the right decision. So if anything comes of that nightmare, I'm hoping it's that. I'm hoping that's the silver <laughs> lining we find. But I'm hoping the Astros just win. You're flying solo on this podcast for that being a nightmare. I've yeah. got some friends over there. Yeah, you do. You do. I get it. I get it. I'm not, you know, it's not easy to root for. But I, I root for my friends and the players. And they're classy, man. Like it is a very likable team, and I'm go- I'm not gonna go much further than that because I'm sure. Listeners- Doesn't it feel good though? Like if if your division rival that beat you out for the division title wins, because it makes you like seem like maybe you were better than you were, or you were good because you got beat out by the champions, kind of thing. I understand that perspective of like, well, they beat us, but they also beat everybody else. So like, we're not. We're they knocked us out of the tournament, but we lost. But they also won the thing, so we could have just been the second best team. So, like, if we didn't play them, we probably would have won the whole thing, you know? Yeah, <laughs> That's sure, what I mean. I'm sure Mets fans will love that silver medal. So, yeah, there you go, guys. There's your silver <laughs> line. <laughs> uh, That's great. So there hasn't been a lot of Shea Station talk recently, and for good reason, because there's just not a lot to talk about in the Mets world. But we have more rumors to discuss, and the Dodgers are out of things now, so that means that their executives are either going to get new deals or possibly talk with other teams like the Mets the biggest one was sort of a bomb drop from Disha Thosar, who does great work uh, for Daily News. She dropped uh, some pretty heavy rumors uh, of a guy named Brian Sabian. Now, for those that have been following the Mets executive hunt, they had three big names on their list of Theo Epstein, David Stearns, and Billy Bean, all of whom are out of the running now. For those who don't know, Billy Bean was interested in the job, but for a good reason didn't want to take it because he didn't want to basically uproot his family and move them across the country. And I think that was a good reminder that, you know, with the players, with the executives, with the coaches, these are people with families and wives and all those things. And sometimes, you know, life is in the way of those opportunities. And I'm sure Billy Bean is very happy where he is. So if that was the reasoning for him not coming over to the Mets, then I found like perfect solace in that. Although it, you know, it is a bummer obviously, cause you know, it could have happened in a different universe, but uh, I, I'm happy for Billy Bean. I'm, I just want to upfront say, yeah, that. I mean, that's a, that's a classy move for him to even speak on it because he doesn't have to um, just to say, you know, at 60 years old and, and it'd be silly of him to want to uproot his whole family for his own. He, he called it, it would have been really selfish move. Very classy. Yeah. Extremely classy guy. So, you know, I hope he, he continues to have success in Oakland, but you know, not so much success that he beats us in the world series. Anyway, 
the uh, the bomb drop that Disha uh, was writing about is from a guy named Brian Sabian. Now, if you're not familiar with the name, you'll probably be familiar with uh, his accolades and his resume. Uh, he is the former general manager of the Giants in their stretch of three World Series titles from 2010 to 2014, and he stayed with the team in a smaller capacity. And now, you know, with rumors and with all these podcasts, you don't know how uh, real this evidence may be, but the qu- the quotes and the the evidence brought forth seems very legitimate, and like the motivations for him wanting this job seem legitimate. Um, if Steve Cohen hired Sabian, Disha noted that there might also be a likely chance they can get a Hall of Fame manager in Bruce Bochy to maybe come out and uh, oversee the team in some capacity, whether that's manager or some other role. Um, and uh, I'm just going to read out a bunch of quotes from the article because it is a very good article. It's a very exciting article. And as soon as I read it, I knew I wanted to basically open the show with it. Uh, not only would Brian Sabian be a home run hire for the Mets, but he's apparently willing and excited to be considered for the club's open position of president of baseball ops. And that's been basically the opposite of every single exciting candidate that we've heard of so far. It's that we've sort of had to pry them to get like to talk about it and to get in for an interview. But, you know, conversely, Brian Sabian seems excited for the opportunity itself, but I don't know where they are in that process. If they've even spoken to him or if there's been an interview of some kind, but that at least is encouraging. Yeah. I mean, he is, this is the, the, the two philosophies that you want as a Mets fan, you're either going to get, an established winner, somebody that knows how to do it. I mean, three World Series championships over there, built a farm system to last, uh, a really good core. He put together, like, you know, I was on the other side of the bay during that run for the most part, like being in Oakland, watching these guys win the World Series with Lincecum, Matt Kane, Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner, like, you know, pretty incredible, like seeing, seeing these things happen. He knows how to win. And this is the, this is, if you wanted the veteran that knows how to win the established, you know, front office top tier guy, this is pretty exciting because for him, you know, again, Disha's great. I'll give her a, a, a follow on Twitter. She's, she's on top of the game. Um, so there's gotta be some substance here and it takes somebody that is motivated to want to come over and do this. Uh, so if this is what you want, this is the, you know, another name that wasn't even, you wouldn't even think to be on the radar because of the, the same things as the other guys. And then there's, you know, the other end of the tail and the other side of the coin is you want somebody up and coming to kind of rise up through the ranks and, and establish himself and with the Mets become a name like, you know, Brian Sabian, like Billy Bean, establish himself in, in New York. And so these, these, it's nice to have options finally, not just dart throws and hope, you know, throw somebody's name out there and be like, well, how do you feel? It's nice to be wanted, I guess. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. It's just nice to feel wanted by somebody. Nice to feel wanted. The reluctance, some of the reluctance surrounding Sabian was that like he wasn't on the new frontier of analytics and stuff like that. But what you mentioned, I think is more important in the fact that he's been the architect of two very good cores, the one being the Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey Legion that, you know, is still succeeding in 2021. They've won 107 games this year. A large portion of that were the role players that have been there for a decade. Uh, the other thing that he was an architect of was a scout for the Yankees in the early 2000s, late 90s. And that means all the guys that you're thinking of, Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera, all cited in Disha's article, as uh, the work of Brian Sabian amongst others. So if one one successful track record didn't convince you, there's two. And both of those teams won multiple championships in the span of a very short amount of time. Uh, so the final quote I'm going to read here is the one that intrigued me the most and the one why I think maybe Brian Sabian would be excited to interview in the first place. He, uh, Disha said that he's going stir crazy in San Francisco with essentially nothing to do in the role of special assistant. He hasn't been GM since 2014. He stayed with the club because of all that success. Um, And the real attraction for Sabian would be the fact that it's New York and it's the Mets. Unlike Billy Bean, who was reluctant to uplift his family and his roots from the West Coast, the source close to Sabian said that he would do it in a heartbeat if the Mets offered him the job. Now, I feel like my heart's getting played with. I feel like this, it's another one of these too good to be trues. And I think I was keen on that with Billy Bean and Theo, but this isn't, you know, a big name. I didn't know who Brian Sabian was before this. I can't lie to you. Uh, I don't know a lot of the executive names, but if we get somebody young and exciting to sort of 
embrace analytics alongside a guy like Sabian because at the end of the day, even if you're president of baseball operations, the job doesn't end there. There's still GMs and special assistants that need to help you make decisions and decide plans and stuff like that. But I think Sabian's a really good guy to head the front, and I'm hoping that we get more news on this front because it's been quiet for like a day or two ever since these rumors dropped. Yeah. Uh, it, it, like I said, man, this is, this is a name. I actually did know this name, obviously being on, being close in the Bay area, um, and just seeing this Titan, uh, being built in San Francisco, it was pretty, pretty crazy. We thought we had some good teams, uh, and then they went on and we win the world series. Like, uh, they knocked me out in when I was with Washington in 14, we got bum garnered, but it's, it's, it's the a tale of two tapes. Do you want an established name, somebody that knows how to win, you know, there's a reason why these guys win. It's not because they stuck to their own way. It's because they're smart and adapt and surround themselves with, with smart people. A lot of the time, smarter than they are. That's the best. You surround yourself with people that are the best at doing whatever you need them to do. And he may not have been on the, the frontier of the analytical side of baseball, but I guarantee you, he's not going to shut himself off to that. Now he's smart. You adapt. He was probably at the forefront of a different approach when he started doing those things, which is why he got to San Francisco in the first place. And so these guys adapt. They may not be known for one particular area, but they're smart and they surround themselves with people that can help. So if we get them, if we're interested, you, you got to trust, you know, Stevie, Stevie Cohen and, and Sandy and, and people that are doing the hiring to do a great job of vetting it out and seeing what you want. And they have to decide the direction of the organization ultimately. So, you know, at least again, like it's, it's nice to be wanted and to, to have somebody seek us out to throw their name in the hat is pretty, is pretty nice to see. And that may be, you know, even if it doesn't end up being Brian Sabian, at least people see that if it's desirable, you know, that one time you think about like, as soon as you get a girlfriend, all of a sudden you see other girls are like, Hey, he's taken. There so must be something to that guy, that kind of approach. Now they're like, Hey, maybe what is it that I didn't see the first time thinking about that Mets job opportunity. So hopefully this is like a snowball effect. Yeah, I really do hope so. It's just such a refreshing piece of news to see somebody alongside these other guys with successful track records, find the job desirable because I don't understand. I, I understand the track record of the Mets themselves as a franchise being laughable and doing a lot of crazy things and having all sorts of insane news cycles. But at the same time, this is the third highest payroll in baseball in the second year of a new owner who is a fan of the team and wants the team to win. I mean, it just, it seems like a home run from all angles. You just signed a superstar to a, like a 12 year contract. You have a bunch of money to play with and a huge free agent market to basically take your picking of. So I'm, I'm happy that there are names emerging. Another name that came forth in the past week is basically the other side of the spectrum, which I find very interesting, especially if these two forces combine in some way. Uh, the guy's name is Peter Bendix, and he's with the Tampa Bay Rays, which is always a good sign because you want a Rays executive because of what they've been doing. Uh, he's the vice president of baseball development for their team, but in 2009, he joined as a measly intern and worked his way up over the past 11 years to get where he is now. So he knows all facets of of how a front office works, especially one that's strained for funds and has to basically find clever ways to win like the Rays have. So he knows how to win. He knows how to basically scout talent. And there's no better guy on the Mets radar at scouting talent right now than Brian Sabian. So I really do think the combining of these minds would be very intriguing, especially with what I said before with Sabian sort of being outed from his job a little bit because of the new frontier of analytics. If you want a guy to sort of embrace that alongside him, I think Peter Bendix is the perfect fit. And by the way, I don't know if you saw the picture we posted of Peter Bendix, but if you picture what he looks like, it's pretty spot on, just in general. He, he has the perfect I'm gonna look. I'm going to Google it. I think you need to. I think you need to. The look he. I was going to ask you if we know anything about like where he's from, uh, what his background is. Does he have any vetting interest in being in the Northeast, uprooting from Florida. Right. So he he's he's another one of these with like engaged interest, not so much he's a name being thrown out there. And then you you, you talk to him and he goes, ah, I'm not really interested. I'm comfortable where I am. Uh, he also just remind he gives me big Paul DePodesta vibes in Moneyball with Jonah Hill. Like I know we just lost out on DePodesta because he's staying with the Browns, but he has that look of like, I don't want to be mean, but he's got the nerd look that I love. And I really want him in charge of things just on account of that. And his track record, of course. 
Yeah, I mean, again, this is like you said earlier, this is two sides to a coin. We have Brian Sabian, the established winner, somebody that's done it, has a track record of doing it. And on the other side, you have this potential dynasty builder. You know, what do you what do you want? What do you want as an organization? That's the thing I'm most excited about is seeing once they do figure it out. I think they have to I think finally they have options to pick a direction instead of being forced to a certain side, you know, like we can't get the the big names that we want. So we have to go young. I think now that they're, they're, they're going to have some options. So they'll be able to choose a philosophy that they're comfortable with and moving forward. I feel like this might be the really the first step in the snowball of now we're starting to build some momentum. Now we're going to make a hire. Now we're going to start filling that out. I think this is, this is the first positive step for me that feels more like we're moving versus just throwing names out there and, and trying to figure out which one sticks. Um, this feels like a positive step forward. You were very reassuring to me before we started recording this pod in the first place, because, you know, as any Mets fan, you get a little antsy because, you know, a, a bunch of teams are out of the race now and there's only two left and they're all gearing up for their off season. And I'm thinking, is this, vetting process and this hiring process taking too long. And you assured me, no, you're not worried about it at all. And you've been inside clubhouses. So you obviously know better than I do. And it also took me back to a thought from, you know, last year. And for those who don't remember, because it's, you know, getting close to 365 days ago, the Mets didn't hire a GM until December of last year and still had what I thought was a successful off season. Now, what you think of that GM hire or whatever, because there's only so many great things you can say about Porter at this point, but you know, it was universally praised at the time. Many people thought that the Mets did a good job of that hire before the scandal came forth. Um, so with them taking as much time as they need, I still don't think it's going to take till December. I would be shocked if it did. But, you know, if you get a home run hire, I don't really think there's anything to worry about. So you, you lost out in your big three. You have two exciting different candidates moving forward and emerging. And you also have two guys from the Dodgers that you can now speak to potentially because the Dodgers are out of things and because the Dodgers core is being dissolved and they're sort of entering a new phase of their franchise, which I'm sure will still be filled with success, but there might be guys there that want a new challenge and want to embrace something in a higher capacity. You're going to say something. Yeah. I just wanted to jump on, on that comment that you made it. And it's true. It's, it's, if you're, if you're feeling antsy as you should, as a Mets fan with the lack of movement, this is the process you, this is, this shapes, an organization hiring the front office, the, the president of baseball ops, this shapes your organization way more than deciding which free agents to get. So you do not want to force this process. You don't want to rush this hire, these multiple hires that you're going to have. This is not a process that you want to rush. Uh, on top of that, there is, you feel like you need to have it in place immediately, but that's not true. You want to basically have this set before the winter meetings, which is where most of most of the movement on the free agent market happens. And that's, I think this year is December 5th through the 9th. So as long as you have something in place, you know, a couple of weeks, even a few days beforehand to decide this, you'll be fine. Because the Mets are a big market with a brand new owner with deep pockets all those free agents that see the Mets as a potential fit, you know, they're going to make business decisions to be like, Hey, hold on, you know, let's, let's hold off. We see some potential there, you know, at least for a back and forth. So, so New York is a desirable place. Um, that's you're going to make things are going to happen here in a positive direction. This, the hiring the front office is the biggest move of the off season for all of us, for the whole organization, don't rush it. Take your time. Find the right hires to do it. I think they're doing a great job so far. There's been some issues with, with their vetting process and history in the past. You hope that the, the people, the smart people in, in power right now are learning from their mistakes and taking feedback, which I do think is happening from the, the connections that I have. I feel like their new process is, is being better enhanced. And so we are, again, like I said, this is the first step towards something happening. This is the first actual step uh, the Mets moving forward because there's there's got to be something going on behind the scenes to where this is starting to, to feel itself out. So this is exciting. 
no need to rush it. it it's it's there's names out there there's places to fill it we have candidates we're putting it together this is this is fun yeah and like you know you mentioned first steps there and like steve cohen is sort of getting like a second first step here a second chance to make a first impression he came into this organization with a lot of things already set in place that he chose to maintain now it's sort of a completely clean house from where we were in 2019 and it will be cohen's vision entirely and you know as this goes for any person in any context the first impression is very important if you mess up you know it's hard to make that irrevocable and you know hard to redeem yourself from that steve cohen has already experienced failure tremendous failure a very disappointing season in his first go and with the Atlanta Braves, as I mentioned before, in the World Series, the pressure is on. NL East teams have succeeded in the very recent past. So with this conversation we've had, you know, patience, it, it's hard. It's very hard to be patient when you want things to happen, when you have such a high payroll and know that things can happen. But I guess all we can do is trust the process and trust that the right decisions will be made with time. And, you know, you mentioned before, like getting things done before the winter meetings. There were signings before the winter meetings last year. You, Trevor May came very early in the offseason. But that doesn't need to happen. Like, it, all we need to do is basically get the right people in place for the most important week of the offseason. If, if you take this year and last year, the excitement should be just as great because a lot of what the Mets fans believed was an ownership group that was the biggest blocking point for Mets success is – different now and we feel positive about Steve Cohen being the being the owner being the guy in charge and so we're still in that same process like you said we're still this is the first full off season of of pushing forward and so it's going to be a multi-year building but we still have the possibilities of imminent success with the talent on this roster and so it's shaping itself out but there's a long-term view as well all exciting things very exciting. I think it's excited caution for me. I think I was too like ready to control the NL East for years and years in 2020, and now I, I I've sort of come to the realization that you know, we this division gets clowned a lot, but you know what? Every time that somebody's won the NL East, they've pretty much made a deep run in the playoffs every year. It's this. There's so much division. talent here, and and whether or not. Like the Braves are a great team. They lost Ronald Acuna, one of the most exciting players in the game. Mike Soroka, their ace before the season started. Uh, they lost their left fielder that they signed to domestic violence. Like they, you know, he did. They didn't lose him. He he ran away he deservedly. So yeah, all that yeah, that's pretty brutal. But look, they're talented. They're young. They have good veterans. They have. You know, the the Nationals just won the World Series. They just revamped their entire team. The one thing that I need to say is we better be successful before the Nationals are successful. They just I agree. cleaned house. They have one of the best players in the game in Juan Soto for many years, but they just cleaned their slate. We're not all the way on reset mode. We're We're starting here. We need to fill that gap fast. We're sort of in limbo in between instant competitor and like a rebuild, like a total rebuild. And like, yeah, what, I don't what, think we need it. We, we, like you said, this, this, this spring training, there was so much optimism for me too, because I thought this, and it was a world series contending roster completely underperformed. Uh, we were, it was a letdown of a season, you know, from injuries and lack of performance Yes, fact. But the talent was still there. The shape of the team looked good. Let's just start to continue to build on that. Right. And it's not so much of a rebuild as it is a revamp for the Mets, because what you may consider the core of this team in quotations of Conforto, McNeil, Smith, part of those things will dissolve and go away. J.D. Davis is in there as well. Marcus Stroman may walk, but that doesn't necessarily mean the Mets are going to enter tailspin. It just means that the roster will be constructed very differently. And I think the Mets can learn from their mistakes and really hone in on the players that, you know, they think will fix the team's issues, which is, you know, getting the ball in the air, hitting for power, high slugging numbers, making sure you keep the ball on the ground with your starting pitchers. And we're, get, we're already starting to see some free agent rumors emerge. I talked to you before the show uh, because John Heyman, who is an ever-present peculiar figure in baseball came on MOB network and made some very grand predictions for, you know, the sort of the top echelon of free agents in MOB. I did some research and Heyman's track record with his predictions are like very on and off. Some are spot on. Some are 
completely by the wayside. You don't understand why he picked it in the first place. And that applies to these picks as well. Uh, the one player that he had confidence. You said, wait, you said he bet 500 last year? I wouldn't say 500, but I'm saying the ones that he did hit on, he hit on pretty well. Yeah, and at the time they might have been a little bit like, what? What? Exactly. Exactly. So he, yeah, he, you, you know, you, you throw some stuff out there. He's gonna, he's gonna hit a couple of these. So hopefully, it's at least interesting to talk about. It's not complete nonsense. Yeah, it's not. It's it's speculation, uh, and you know, cautious at that. The one player that he had attributed to the Mets uh, was Chris Bryant coming over in free agency. He actually had Javi Baez going back to the Cubs. Carlos Correa is gonna be a Tiger with AJ Hinch. But I thought I thought it was interesting because the you know we me and you did our our wish list lineups and we both had different options at third base and there's also you know the Jose Ramirez possibility at third base with him not wanting to sign an extension in Cleveland, but the Mets landing Chris Bryant is pretty interesting and I think it sort of contributes into the roster construction that I was mentioning before. What do the Mets want to look for? Well, Chris Bryant is a guy, you know, obviously we all know how good of a player he is, but he has one thing that I think is very important, and that's positional versatility, uh, an ability to move him around to positions that he actually can play. We've put a lot of different guys in left field that can't play left field, and a lot of different guys at third that don't usually play third, and Chris Bryant can do those two positions and more, right? Field, first base, he has experience around the horn, so, you know, you think of him as the high OPS guy that hits for power. He's your three hitter, all that. But I think the much more valuable asset that I think the Mets should be looking for in guys like Brian and other guys on the market like Chris Taylor, who we should definitely talk about because he has a, he had a crazy postseason, is that positional versatility, the ability to be the flex option off the bench and in the starting lineup. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you're very recency biased for Chris Taylor. Oh, for sure. He's going to get a great bat, player. Man. He's going to. He's a, he, To me, like, again, I don't want to diss on Chris Taylor. He's great. He, I don't know how he was against me in his career. Probably good. Uh, he played for the Dodgers, so it's not great for me. Uh, but I'm not trying to discount what he did. But uh, I think I think his value, his stock might be a little inflated right now. I think he was he did a lot of damage in a lineup where he was surrounded by he was going to get attacked because of the people around him in a lineup. I think his approach knowing that helped, but again, he's a good player, great player. Any team would be better having, having versatility. Um, Chris Bryant is very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. If you go for Chris Bryant, then you got to do some things on your roster. You got to move some other parts away. You know, JD Davis can't play anywhere, but there, you know, what do you if that, yeah. And so, you know, DH, what, you know, you're going to have to move some, some pieces. I like Chris Bryant. I think he's an excellent player. His versatility is amazing. If he just is a third baseman, he plays a gold glove caliber third base. He's not far removed from an MVP here. You know, I think, I think he would be a, an amazing addition to our team. Uh, that would be, I hope Heyman's right in this instance, because that is a big get. Um, but you talked about Jose Ramirez yeah. and that got me excited. Oh yeah. Jose Ramirez. I don't think he's going to sign with Cleveland because he's seen how they treat their stars. Um, I think he saw what happened to uh, uh, Nolan Arenado in Colorado. He's like, I'm not going to do that to myself. Um, I'd rather leave. So well, that would be an amazing fit. That guy can play some baseball. We don't get to see it much being in the NL. Um, but being an Ohio person and a lot of my fan, friends and family are, are Cleveland Indians fans, Guardians fans. Um, it's super exciting. That guy is a great baseball player. It would be very comical if we poached both of those cornerstone stars <laughs> from the same team. Uh, uh, yeah. So th- this is, those, those are some exciting moves. Um, I'll follow this. Heyman, where does uh, Corey Seager to the Yankees? Yeah, this was on MLB network. So maybe he was, maybe it was all show, like, you know, to get, to get people excited. I like Heyman. He, he gets a lot of, he gets a lot of, uh, he stirs the pot. Slack. Yeah. He stirs the pot. Um, he's, he's, he speaks his mind. I like him. He's been good to me in my career. Um, he's got some, he's got some connections. So he might, he might know a lot more than we do. So you spoke a little bit on my uh, recency bias for Chris Taylor. And you know what? I looked into the stats and you're definitely right. Chris Taylor batted 228 and 121 in August and September, and then just lit it up in the postseason. But there, there is a value to being a good postseason hitter. Very much. So if you want to win a world series, you need guys that know how to perform in the postseason. Like it's, it's a different animal. It's different. 
And like, you know, we we're talking about Heyman's predictions here. And the, the list of guys is only like eight guys long, but they're all premier and they all could find a spot on the Mets. Your Marcus Semyon is on this list. Corey Seager, Nick Castellanos, all these guys are fit. Some of the guys we mentioned in the last episode as well. And, you know, it just goes back to let's get the right people in place before the winter meetings. Then let's think about this. As fun as it is to speculate. I want to address one thing that I've seen going on on Twitter a lot with Mets fans and stuff. I think it's probably just a joke, but I want to address it. Freddie Freeman will not wear no, never any other uniform. It was, it was besides, a joke when I said it. it was besides an Atlanta Braves uniform. It's, never it's, it, it's not going to happen. Alex Anthopoulos, the Braves fans would revolt. He just took him to the World Series like he is going to remain a Brave. He'll probably retire an Atlanta Brave. You don't want, I've seen so many like little Twitter pictures of him in a Mets uniform. I'm guilty, man. I'm guilty. I know you are. It would be awesome, but I I don't think he would ever, he, I don't think he would go to New York to play for us anyway, because if he's going to do something different, he's going to get out of, get away, go to the AL probably. He doesn't want to come back to Atlanta in a different uniform and, and get the standing O. He doesn't want that. Even if they didn't go on this magical run, even if they fizzled out and didn't make the playoffs, I don't think he leaves. Like he's just if he leaves, if he leaves Atlanta, if they don't sign him to a deal, I don't want to say anything dumb like run around the house naked. Uh, but <laughs> it would it, I would I would be as shocked to see him in another uniform as I would be to see like Bryce Harper going to the Phillies. Cause that shocked me. Not me, not me. I, you know, oh, okay. uh, having played with Harp, you know, he wants, you know, whatever, what, you excuse do. me. Sorry about that. Oh, uh, he, I, I just would be, I don't want to do anything, say anything silly, but I'll think of something, a wager, a wager. I like it would that. be ridiculous. I like it would, that. I would put a lot of money on that bet. If I were a betting man, the only betting I do is fantasy football and some March madness brackets outside of that. I had you beat last week, Jerry. Just want to say, I am, I am managing our, our John boy media fantasy football league because I had to auto draft. I did too. Just saying you did. Just saying. Oh, then, then you can't take the success of your team the way you're, I did some waiver wire. You didn't do anything. I, did, uh, I got miles Gaskin. I made a trade. I made some good That's moves. A, miles Gaskin did not, was not in your starting line. You think I'm six and oh by accident. Do you think I'm six? Yes, and by accident? It is. If you auto draft and you cannot take credit for your team. So you wouldn't be bragging if you beat me. You wouldn't be bragging. No. Well, really? I would brag, but yeah. I would also not, <laughs> I, I would brag just to get under your skin, but you can't claim. You didn't do anything. Your team is your team, and now maybe you make the right moves. You got 3% of your success. I'll take it. I did face somebody in our league that I don't know who it was that didn't even move their lineup. That's that's a Yeah, there are a couple like 0-6 teams that I think have just checked out. Well, I'll I'll tell you. Hold on. This is a side note here. I'm going to pull it up, and I'll tell you who I went against um, and what their lineup was. I I won't name names, but I'll, I'll pull up their lineup. It's a little exposing. Yeah, so it is Trevor Lawrence was their quarterback who's on by. Okay. McCaffrey, injured. David Montgomery, injured. <laughs> Cortland Sutton, Marvin Jones on by. George Kittle, injured for like weeks. Yep. Hawkinson, San Francisco's D, Young Way Koo. He started like five people that aren't even available to make points. So Very nice. That's a hard-earned win right there by you. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I can take credit for this win just as much as you can for your team's success. I disagree. I disagree. I drafted well in my but, other league, though. I will say. What's that? I drafted well in my other league. I got Cooper Cup with like the eighth pick or something, eighth round. So that's wonderful. There you go. I'm proud of you for that one. I've been trying to trade for Cooper Cup. Uh, I don't want to get sidetracked. Let's stay Mets. <laughs> so one more piece of Mets news, and then we have something very excited, uh, very exciting for the second half of the show. I won't reveal it yet. Um, but big injury news uh, from the Mets starting pitcher front from one of the guys that will be coming back next year. Uh, for those who don't know, the Mets have are going to be looking at a very different rotation next year. The only locks right now are Jacob deGrom, Taiwan Walker, and a third man in Carlos Carrasco, who came over from Cleveland. The Mets announced that Carlos Carrasco underwent successful surgery earlier in the week to remove a bone fragment from his right elbow that he was pitching with. So Carlos Carrasco, another one of these guys that was dealing with an injury all season pretty much from the get-go, like Adam Smith. Uh, he missed a large portion of the 2021 season, posted a 6.04 ERA. It was not a good year for Carlos Carrasco. But I found this 
very encouraging because this is not the cookie that I had seen in years past that I had really fell in love with on the Cleveland Indians. So I'm really, I mean, I'm not glad that he was injured, but I'm glad to know that this wasn't his best put forth effort because something was holding him back in his elbow. So I'm, ho- I'm really hoping that he can return strong next year. Yeah. Two things. One, I would expect Carlos Carrasco to, to return to form uh, going into next year. The second thing is, uh, this is a very common surgery. I think Steven Matz went through it. Uh, I think this is the same surgery that uh, Seth Lugo had right before spring training. You know, his his season wasn't as great as, you know, expectation, but he had a good season. A lot of that was because he was forced into things that he wasn't ready for and without having a spring training. And same could be said for Carlos. But this is a this is a fairly routine. You get bone chips, you get bone fragments, uh, little floating bodies, and you have to remove them. Otherwise, they can, you know, create mobility impairment, just a lots of pain. And it shows you that Carrasco is probably, you know, to to be a very dad joke here, but he's one tough cookie. Yeah, yes. Oh, that was pretty good. That was nice. It's <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a, a full on dad joke. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you prefaced it with like a warning. You were like, by the way, this is going to be bad. You're about to get it. Uh, I'm proud of it. I think it's a good joke, <laughs> but it's definitely a dad joke format. <laughs> It's not a pun. It's not a pun. It's a pun. It's a pun. It's, Is it? It's a pun. I don't know if it technically counts. It's 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 a dad joke either way. Dad joke sort of has yeah. that umbrella to it. But yeah, but I'm anyway, proud of it. Either best way. of wishes to Cookie. Yes. All right. So we have him back on the slate for the 2021 season and many other guys. And I preface this before by saying we had something fun. If you follow us on our socials, Shea Station on Twitter and Instagram and anywhere else you browse. Uh, we posted a Q&A this past weekend. Now, we tried doing a Q&A in the past, and then the Mets had, like, their most memorable win of the season against the Marlins, like a five-run comeback in the ninth. So we couldn't do most of the questions <laughs> that we uh, we uh, asked you guys to put forth. But now we're in the offseason. Nothing's getting in the way. And we got a ton of good ones, some from in-company uh, in guys, some from our fans. So we really appreciate that. Jerry, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna put the spot on you a little bit here. I'm gonna put the pressure on you. Do you want to pick our first question? Because I know what mine's gonna be, but it's a question for you. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I'll I'll go first. Okay. Okay. Uh, because this is a good one. It comes from our our talking baseball guys on Instagram, talking baseball. So they, if you could have one Mets player from any era on the pod as a guest, who would it be? I have my choice. I want to know who yours is first. Okay, so there are there are easy picks to this. There are very like you can get one of the GKR guys. I know Gary doesn't count as a Mets player, but Keith and Ron, David Wright is in that category as well. Uh, I think Jose Reyes would be a fun guest, just very eccentric. The one I think I'm going to go to for the current state of where things are at right now is I really want to pick the brain of Carlos Beltran because I think that he's just sort of disappeared from the light uh, ever since 2019 and he has one of the most fabled careers in Mets history with how it ended and how it went so I really do think an hour sitting down with Carlos Beltran would make for some of the most interesting podcast Mets baseball out there that's a good one I didn't even think about Carlos Beltran that's a good one okay I'm proud of you for that one no it didn't even cross my mind I, I have to admit you picked a pitcher didn't you come on I, of course, because yeah. that's that's I think for me, that's my wheelhouse on being able to, to chat him up. You know, it's it's not possible. You know, unfortunately, uh, he passed. Tom Seaver mm. is the guy. Yeah, it, it's a he's he's Mr. Met. You know what I mean? He is the guy, the face of a franchise. He's the franchise. I'd love to speak with him. I'd love to talk to him about pitching, about what it meant for him to play for the New York Mets, to live in the city. Because we have, you know, I, I'm from Ohio uh, to, to play for an organization like this, to live in the city of New York was it's beyond a dream come true because it's something that I didn't even dream about because it's, you know, one of the crazy things that happened. So it'd be interesting, especially later in his life to where he started to reflect on things to have gotten him in to talk a little bit of baseball. So Tommy Seaver would have been my pick. The second one, it's Stevie Cohen. I would oh. love to to sit down and talk to him. Does that count? That doesn't count as Mets player, but I'm going to take it in. I know. Well, that's true. That was very specific player. Okay. Sorry, Ben. So you don't get to that's talk right. to Steve Cohen. Dang now. it. I blocked All him. right. Sorry, so, talking baseball. So right. I stick with Tom Seaver there. Uh, this one's from another in-company guy. It's from our, my buddy Rob Sirocco, who uh, edits over for Chris Rose Rotation from Twitter. Jerry, what conditioner do you use? The people want to know. <laughs> How do, how do the locks look so good? What's the oh, secret? Man. What does he use? So a conditioner, does, by the way. Does the wife buy the products? Is it all What's you? That? Does the wife buy the products or is it all she you? He does buy the products. Okay, that's what I figured. I have input. 
My wife was a, a hairstylist when we met in Nashville. Oh. She, she was kicking butt there. Um, so she has, you know, she still has her license so we can get it at cost for her. So, but Rob is 100% correct. Conditioner is the key. You have to do it. It's a leave in long. It t- it's a process, but uh, Olaplex, have you ever heard of Olaplex? No, that's, that, I think that's above my pay grade. So, <laughs> so that we, I can hook you up. So they have uh, a shampoo and conditioner, but there's a, a leave-in conditioner that I put in after, as I'm drying my hair, that takes this nest that would be just this huge head of curls, and it kind of relaxes them and keeps them weighed down while they dry. Olaplex, my man. Okay, we need an Olaplex sponsorship, like stat, all right? My hair is covered by a hat today, but we're still the best hair. You have good spot. locks, though. Hey, you can, you can, we I can take them it. both off. We're two sides of the spectrum with our hair, but I like it. It's good. It's good tandem. All right, what do you got? Let's do a, a, a group one here. Let's go to at I like James two on Twitter uh, for both Jolly and Jerry. What are some moves you wanted the Mets to make in years past that didn't happen? Both good and bad. Welcome. So I'll I'll let you go first. All right. Do you want to do just last off season or do you want to like go back? Just kind of things that popped up in your head. Okay. So I have a good and bad from just last off season. So I'm gonna go with those. Most if you follow me on Twitter, you know what my bad one is. I was like borderline depressed when the Mets didn't get Brad Hand because um, the Nationals like stole him on that three year fifteen deal, and I was like, why didn't we do that? Why did he go to a rival? All that, and then Brad Hand had the season that he had and ended up with us anyway. So you know, I bit the dust there a little bit. The one guy that I really wanted the Mets to get and who you want them to get this time around is Marcus Semyon. I think Marcus Semyon was an absolute steal for the Blue Jays. I don't think he ever sees that type of low deal ever again. And it seemed like he was just sitting there waiting to be poached by a competitive team. And the Blue Jays, you know, we had very similar off-seasons to them last year. We were in competition for the same guys. We traded with them. And I feel like this was another guy we could have competed over. But in the end, we decided, you know, we assumed Jeff McNeil was going to be Jeff McNeil and that we wouldn't need that option at second base. So Marcus Simeon was sort of a missed opportunity there, in my opinion. Uh, I agree with that one. I wanted Marcus Simeon so bad. Again, personal connection. I've seen the guy work firsthand. Uh, fantastic human being. Got another chance. He does. We got another chance. You'll have but, to pay uh, more, but it's worth it. Yeah. So the there's there's one I wanted very badly for the Mets to lock up Michael Conforto long-term for like the last four years. So you wanted the extension to happen earlier. I wanted the extension to happen. I think I think a lot of things would have played out differently. I wanted to do like what the, the Braves did with Acuna, what they did with Ozzie Albies, uh, even with Freddie Freeman. You have a guy that looks like he's going to – they did it with David Wright. It didn't turn out great in the end because of his health, but I think it was a success for everyone involved. I think Conforto had a chance to be – he still – you know, they can sign back. I don't see it happening. I haven't talked to Michael, nor will I ask him about anything unless he brings it up to me uh, because, you know, free agency is kind of a, uh, a crazy process. Plus he's getting married this, this off season. He's got a lot going on. Um, but I would have loved to have had him locked up. I think his, this year would have been different because there would have been a lot less pressure. He would have been, it would have been just a smoother ride. It would have been less money because he would have still kind of young and established. I thought that was a big miss. Um, simply because you could have got them long-term like so many teams have done in the past with their players. You sign a young guy to a team-friendly extension. He's happy. You're happy. And he ends up being a face of the franchise. And instead, we're going to see him wear another uniform and have success because he's a great player. And it's going to be bittersweet for us because you think about what Mets fans could have had versus – you know, even him, he he loves the Mets. He he wanted to be a Met long term. If if he had his way, he would have worn one uniform his whole career too. Still might happen again, but that was one that we missed uh, as far as extensions. It was an off season thing. Yeah, and you you bring that up kind of reminds me of like where we're at with Brandon Nimmo because we're sort of in that window right now where you can give Nimmo that extension at a low AAV and sort of lock him up because you know he loves to play here. So it's sort of like Conforto part two in that way. Cause you know, Nemo's going to be great. If he yeah, stays healthy. Again, I love Nemo and I love what he brings to the table, but I don't think Nemo's on the same level as a Michael Conforto simply just, I love him and I love what he does. I, I think what he brings to a team is just as important, but I don't think he is on the same level as Michael Conforto. Just simple. 
Uh, sorry, like if that hurts your feelings, buddy. No, it's okay. yeah, I just don't think he's he's that caliber of player. You know, because Conforto uh, can change a lineup at his best. I, I think Conforto that. is an MVP level candidate, and I think he's only going to get better for the next four, five, six years as long as he maintains health and you know his he's signed to a comfortable deal where he can settle in and just be a great baseball player. Could be it could be Zach Wheeler in offense form, which is scary. There's one. There's one more. That was what I was going to talk about when Zach Wheeler went to the Phillies. That one hurt. Not only did I know that Zach Wheeler was going to be an amazing, have amazing run. Uh, I think everybody knew it. I had so many phone calls from my former teammates and friends and and front office people that have moved to other organizations kicking tires. I'm like, what's Zach Wheeler like? Because we, they, there was so much potential. How does he, how does he look? What do you think of him? Is he a worker? I had dozens of phone calls from teams going like, what's he like as a person? And you see the success that he's had. He might win a Cy Young. The guy is who he is. And I, I, I don't know. I haven't been able to think about free agency signs uh, from outside that's which which I'll do moving forward but the guys that they let go are the ones that hit me the most so I mean that's something to think about with your Brandon Nimmo's and your Pete Alonso's like maybe you get that deal done earlier so you don't have to face the, that Alonso's a good a good thing to look at I think he's 2025 he's a power hitter he's young he's a met he's if you don't treat him right you know the way they kind of delayed his his coming to the big leagues, he had a chip on his shoulder. Um, the closer you get to him walking, the more it's going to cost you, the more he's going to feel slighted possibly. So there's a lot of moving parts. Again, that's that's one of them. So that's a great question uh, Question from James. Kind of took us down memory lane there. Yeah, sorry. And it, we, no, we, I like James too, too. Oh, nice. That was good. Clever. I mean, it's clever for us because we can see his username. Probably really confusing for everybody else. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a good point. Here's a good one from Instagram from at random MLB stars. And this one's good for you because you played under him. Favorite Terry Collins memory. Oh, man. So many. To pick uh, there's so many. There's like little moments. Uh, he Terry Collins is the fastest human being. Uh, <laughs> he he is the first off the bus onto the plane before like I even stand up and put my jacket on. He is from the bus to the hotel in the elevator before we even like get our luggage out. Like he's an amazingly speedy human, but my favorite is probably a lot of people's favorite is the ass in the jacket. Yeah. Box. I mean, come on. The, that, that is a, a him in a, in, in a nutshell. That is, he is going to fight for his guys. He is going to be passionate about the game of baseball uh, and he's going to have your back. And I love that moment because it shows you and it's a little sneak peek into behind the scenes because you don't normally get that audio, but you see him fire, like getting fiery, uh, arguing for his team, for the overall, you know, arc of things. And it just shows you that he's, he's a gem of a human. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you took mine there. The other, the only other one I had was uh, the press conference after the Wilmer Flores initial trade didn't go through and how just confused he was and like <laughs> who would he get traded for for who for what and like i just thought that was really good because you could tell how a thousand percent honest he was in that moment none of that was show uh so yeah the mets haven't had a manager like terry collins in a long time and probably won't again for a, a while because there's there's a there's few of those guys in the game still um they're becoming less and less just simply because you know you're, you're moving to a different era of the game uh and uh, the game is lesser Without guys like that, I believe. It's a good question there from uh, Randy. My turn. Memories. I want to have yeah, a little go fun. Go ahead. Uh, at Matthias uh, AK on Twitter, what is the best fast food joint in the U.S.? I'm going to let you go. I want to. I want to start it by saying, do you want to define fast food? Yeah, I think it's important that we we sort of discuss what qualifies. So now, is it a? Are you talking drive-through that you're able to go fast food, or are we including things like? Um, like Five Guys and Shake Shack. So yeah, I'm I'm thinking we can include like your Five Guys, your Shake Shack, maybe your, your Chipotle Popeyes. Chipo mm, see, Chipotle is the line. Chipotle is to the me, line Chipotle right is the same as Shake Shack. Really? What's the difference? Okay, so I think we can either count both or count neither. 
I count both. Okay. I'm not picking Chipotle. I'll let that count out of the okay. bag. But I'm, I think I'm, not, I'm not picking Chipotle either. Chipotle is up there for me. But you know, they've had some. Got it. Give me, give me like, uh, give me a couple of names, and then give me your your winner. So one for me is definitely Popeyes, just because of the chicken sandwich. Love number it. one. No, not not number one. One oh, of one them. of, them. One okay, of my it. tops. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tough call there. Um, but I think my number one is what you mentioned before, Five Guys. I think that's just, you know, when I want to be a piece of crap for the night and, like, I want to get something good and greasy. Because no place packs the fries more than Five Guys. And I and really shout out, if that. you've ever had it, their Cajun fries are Yes, phenomenal. yes, absolutely. And if you you throw those in your car in that bag, uh, your car's going to smell like so their good. Cajun fries for so days. So good. And, like, you know, the smell's not for everybody, but it is for me. Yeah, it, that's, that's lovely. Did okay, I so yours? what's your winner? I think Five Guys. I'm going to stick with that. Okay, I love it. I love it. So I'm going to go a little bit different. I want to shout out one thing because it's the single best item on any fast food restaurant. And that is Whataburger. And it's their honey butter chicken biscuit. It is a late night morning snack, like a breakfast menu. It is glorious. It's a biscuit with a little like chicken cutlet fried chicken with this honey butter on top that is wonderful. By the way, it's so good that the Corpus Christi Hooks, which is where the Whataburger headquarters is, is in Corpus Christi, I believe. I know it's a is Texas thing. Is that the Houston affiliate or no? Uh, or Texas, Texas. We'll just Texas. put it that way. Sure. Um, pro- uh, I don't know. Anyway, my, my former teammate, Cliff Pennington, his dad is an exec. Cliff. So I know it's a Texas thing. But uh, the Corpus Christi Hooks, I think every home Friday, they were the – Corpus Christi honey butter chicken biscuits, and they wore the orange and white. If you could, if you could do this and put up a, a, Let me a find clip this. and show those uniforms, it's it's the the item is so good that they named the minor league baseball team after them once a week. It's oh lovely. my god, I found it. These uniforms are incredible. Like the orange That's you're what, talking about. Yeah. <laughs> oh glorious. my god. Yeah, we're gonna clip this. This is too good. Yes, it's fantastic. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> That's the best part about minor league baseball too. I, I love it. Um, so that is, I wanted to shout out them. Um, I want to say shout out to Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A is wonderful except for, you know, some of the politics aside and the fact that you're not open on Sundays, you're eliminated. Yeah, I know. Come on. Yeah. You know, but I don't know how many times that we've had getaway games like getaway days on a Sunday where we get on the plane and we're like, oh, nice. We get some some Chick-fil-A. Uh, no, can't. No, not today. So you're out. They also made the Mets foul poles look really weird for like three seasons, which I didn't love. So I blame them for that. <laughs> my number two is Five Guys, my second okay. favorite okay. Uh, for all the reasons that you named. Uh, and then number one for me, uh, a New York City staple, Shake Shack. Okay. So I mean, you're, you've a, got met, you're a Met at heart then. I'm, I agree. I'm not, I am not a, a burger person. I would rather have a hot dog, but Shake Shack's burgers they're are different. phenomenal. They're, they're just they're, different. They're milkshakes. Um, like it's wonderful. They need to adjust their fries, I think, to, to kind of elevate. Yeah. But you could, the, the thing is, like, what I do, like, the last game I went to was the great Francisco Lindor three home run game, which, and Love it. shout out to the guys that brought us Shake Shack burgers because that was awesome. But what I did was I got the Shake Shack burger, but then I bought Nathan's fries separate. Okay. So I get the best go. of both worlds and I put them together. Yeah. But Shake Shack has the ability to make a, a tweak to their fries so you can come by. But Shake Shack is my favorite. I don't often crave burgers. And I crave Shake Shack quite a bit. I'm like, man, I could really use a Shake Shack. Shake so. Shack burgers smack. And I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a burger crave guy. But if I'm in a ballpark, I'll have a hot dog. That's usually how. I oh, go. yeah. But there also Shake Shack, you can tweak things to where they're new, and you can try things and go back to your old faithful. But also, they have enough variety to where you can mix things up. I'm just getting hungry now. We need to stop this. I am too. I'm so hungry. <laughs> okay, so we'll let's let's do one more one more each. one more each. Sound okay. Good? So sorry if your question does not make the cut. We have a lot here, uh, but I'm going to pick one now for us. Let's see. Let's see. I'll try and keep it somewhat baseball related since we just talked about food for like 10 minutes. Uh, oh, this one, this one actually I found really interesting from my buddy Brad on Twitter. Sella Bradchin. That's a, that's a little great uh, name. Great there. Twitter name. This one is for you, Jerry. I thought it was interesting. Jerry, who would normally give you an off season plan of how often you should pitch rest and train, etc.? Would it be yourself an agent, the team or somebody else entirely? So this is, you know, in your, in, when you're young and coming up through the minor leagues organization, 100%, they're going to send you uh, your workout regime, when to change it, you know, because uh, there's phases, they're going to send you a throwing program. 
down to the throws, number of throws at each distance, that kind of thing. Um, maybe even a meal plan. You know, if you're a heavy guy or a light guy, they're going to try to help you maintain your weight. Um, when you get to the big leagues, they still send you those things. They also send you um, your protein powders, all your, your vitamins, all your supplements. That's part of our CBA. They have to provide their players with proper nutrition in the off seasons. Um, but for me, as I got older in the game, I learned what worked for me and I found a specific group of, you know, uh, baseball specific training staff, uh, that was able to help me do what I wanted to do for my individual, like, uh, Dustin Clark, who's with the Mets is great at figuring out things, but I needed a little bit more personal attention. And so I went to a, a group out of St. Louis, um, who helped me define my body. Like on a weekly basis, I could send them video of like me walking and they'd be like, all right, this is your warm up. You're doing this a little bit, go see a chiropractor. It was a lot more specific. And as far as throwing program, it was 100%. I knew what I needed to do. I throw way more in the off season than anybody would ever recommend. I knew I needed it. It was a learned process. Uh, and so, you know, it's basically you and what you want to do once you get to the big leagues. You figure it out on your own. Yeah, because it's like, like we, we always talk about player development, how it's like sort of this umbrella term and like no one really knows the intricacies of it. And like that is a big part, like knowing your own body and finding people that can understand what you mean by those kinds of things. So I thought that was really I, I found out that I needed to throw way earlier and way more often than they tell people to because – every spring training, I would lag behind and it, and it's, and it's gotten, it got progressive. And I was like, all right, I just learned, I know I need to throw. So that was a good one. Are we, I'm ready for my last one. Yeah. You go for it, man. Pull the trig. So my last one is a, is a pretty good one. So it's from L Oliver 72 on Instagram. Uh, and it's will Degrom's 48 be retired. Good. I'll let question. you answer it first. Okay. So let's, let's do, let's do, uh, as it stands right now, and if he pitches like I don't know, ten more years or whatever, but I th I still think, as it stands right now, Degrom has a legitimate chance to be retired if he retired tomorrow, um, just because he qualifies for all these like ERA and WHIP candidacies and whatever, and he ranks extremely highly, like right alongside your Kuzman and your Seaver and basically all those things. I think if Degrom pitches the rest of the season and gets those extra fifteen starts this season he cements himself as maybe the best pitcher outside of Tom Seaver in Mets history. So I, for one, a hundred thousand percent DeGrom thinks, I mean, thinks DeGrom gets his 48 retired. And I think he's another one of these guys that wants to be a Met for as long as possible. And the Mets are willing to pay a guy like DeGrom. So I, I have fair confidence that you will see 48 at some point in Mets state in uh, city field. I think 100% if he didn't throw another baseball, for the rest of his life, if he had, you know, unfortunately, you know, something happened to where he couldn't play baseball anymore. I think his number gets retired anyway. He was a rookie of the year, carried a team to a, a, a championship, has so many signature moments as a Met, won two Cy Youngs and Jake, we trust. Absolutely. He won two Cy Youngs, would have won another one if it wasn't a shortened 2020 season. And, you know, you can't discount health and issues in the 2021 season, but I think he was clearly the best pitcher uh, in, a, in the best pitcher era of baseball. He is headed shoulders above every single other pitcher on the planet, and he's done it in one uniform. I think there is no question that his number will be retired at, at City Field. And that's one factor I didn't even bring in, the competition, because pitchers are undoubtedly better than they used to be just in every facet of the game. And like and DeGrom is, is such still... a throwback. You see how how uh, the Dodgers were treating Max Scherzer this year? Again, he's, he's dealing with some arm fatigue. Uh, <laughs> he's dealing with some arm fatigue. And by the way, I might change my name uh, from only Tom Seaver to our interview to Jacob DeGrom. Yeah. Because be I really one. love, he, I don't think, do you think we could get it. him to talk though? He's very, that's like, the thing I could like, if I could get him to open up, he is so funny, man. Oh, I he think my camera just died. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> that's probably our cue. I that's think. a good cue to end. Uh, you lost your, your video feed, but uh, if I could help see show fans, the side of Jacob DeGrom, the kid, the guy is hilarious. He's witty. Uh, he's funny. He's charming. If they could see that a little bit, I think it would open it up in, in even more. But I respect his his want and need to be a private person. 
Uh, he doesn't have, he doesn't, there's nothing that he needs to do outside of just pitch uh, that, that he doesn't have to show anything else for me. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Well, my camera's dead, which means you can't see my DeGrom cutout anymore. So I think that'll probably be where we cut it out. Uh, if you guys submitted a question and we didn't read it, I'm very sorry, but we might do this thing again because I had a lot of fun with it. We'll we'll get back to it. Keep sending us questions. I love this kind of interaction. This is fun. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Reach out to us. Ask us anything about fast food restaurants or baseball if you feel like talking about that as well. Uh, but we really appreciate you guys hanging out with us for the last hour. Uh, hopefully we have more news to bring you soon. And uh, sometime next week, be on the lookout for a new Shea Station episode with a very special first time ever guest joining us. Not going to reveal who, but you might know who if you follow us. So there you go. Uh, but for this episode, the 17th of Shea Station, I'm the Jolly Olive for John Boy Media. I am Jerry Blevins, clearly the face of Shea Station. Absolutely, because I don't have a face currently. The face of the franchise. <laughs> and we will see you guys next time. See you guys. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Strike three. A career high 15 strikeouts for Jacob DeGrom.